Welcome to the Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast, brought to you by NAR Commercial, the National Association of Realtors. In this program, a conversation with Rob Nahigian. Rob is a principal with Auburndale Realty Company, and he's one of the Signature Series speakers for NAR Commercial. In this podcast, we'll talk to Rob about three of his Signature Series programs, the art of negotiating skills, the evolution of the office product, and liquidity and commercial real estate, connecting the dots to back to the future. I'm your podcast host, Steve Lubetkin. Rob Nahigian, F-R-I-C-S, S-I-O-R-C-R-E, is a principal with Auburndale Realty Company. He has 30 years of commercial and industrial real estate experience. Right now, Rob works on corporate and tenant representation, build-to-suits, and advisory work that's included $4.8 billion worth of real estate, totaling 38 million square feet. He's a prolific real estate speaker at national conventions in the U.S., Mexico, and South America, and is a senior faculty member for Boston University, Massachusetts Association of Realtors, and SIOR. Bob holds the most prestigious commercial real estate accreditations, which we already mentioned. Rob, thanks for joining us on the NAR Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate being here. Rob, you have a number of courses available through the Signature Series program. Um, One of them is the Art of Negotiating Skills. Talk a little bit about the importance of the negotiating process for commercial brokers and why they aren't doing well with negotiating skills on their own. I would not necessarily say that people aren't doing as well on negotiating more than it is learning new strategies of negotiating. And hopefully the, the program offers a different way to think about negotiating. And, and I think especially for incoming people, incoming brokers, I think one of the issues is that um, some of us may think that, you know, we want to impress our clients and we uh, try to negotiate on a win-lose basis, and I think a lot of us understand that, you know, at least in the United States, it's win-win, but I also think that um, one of the things that we recognize is that as brokers, we're always in a rush to make a deal because transactions is how we eventually get paid if they're consummated, and that negotiating is a very patient process. So, what we do in, in that particular course is offer the tools to a broker on a number of strategies that can be used when negotiating is not going well. And in order to use those tools, the broker has to also identify in the process when they're matched up with a situation that then will allow them to use one of the strategies. We have 42 strategies that we go over. You cannot use them all at once, and you have to pick the one that works in the right situation. So that gives you a chance to be less emotional, to think about the process, see what's in front of you, and strategize rather than just letting things happen by themselves. That's pretty much what the skill-based course is, and it's a lot of fun. We do role-playing and um, actually throw in some international... Uh, negotiating nuances, and people usually come out thinking a little differently about it. In some cases, they're just confirming what they thought uh, was the proper process anyway. Could you give a couple of tips for listeners on some important things to keep in mind when they're negotiating? First, you know, one of the things would be recognizing what is driving the other side's position. Uh, In other words, sometimes we have even our own clients that don't really care what the other side thinks. They just want to get their point across. 
And I think that, you know, and again, I don't think this is rocket science, but I think that the number one tools in, in successfully negotiating is not to do a lot of talking, but to do a lot of listening. Gathering a lot of information by asking a lot of questions. For some people, they may think that if they're not doing the talking, then it makes them not look very intelligent in negotiating. You don't want to look intelligent. You want to look and sound like you don't know anything. And, and that gives you a chance to gather all the information to then go back and to strategize. I think learning not to try to make a deal um, at the first meeting is, is also important that, you know, you're willing to go back and re-strategize. I think that one of the things we talk about is not being, uh, to gaining, gaining, in terms of gaining leverage, being able to walk away. And in order to walk away, you have to make that assumption up front that you may not make your deal, that therefore you're not looking desperate, because when you look desperate, the other side will pick up on that, and it puts you in a weaker position. So you have to be able to have backup alternatives. Uh, e even today with my own clients, we go out and look at space, and they'll say, we've got to have that space. I said, you better not be saying that to the other side. And sometimes they say it, and you know, you're like, well, okay, you just gave up your whole negotiating leverage. I mean, again, this is not, you know, like, you know, negotiating course 500. A lot of this is just negotiating course 101, you know, the basics, and people just forget it. And, and it's like, okay, if you want a better deal, I think that's also another thing that we talk about. You don't have to get the best deal, and the best deal is the one that works well for everybody, but you're not going to get everything you want. So you have to be able to recognize up front before you go into um, any negotiating process what is it that you really need to have and what is it that you're willing to throw away and um, be able to trade. You also have a program about changes affecting the design of office buildings. The evolution of the office product is the title of the program. What are some of the changes you're seeing in evolution of uh, office buildings and office products? Well, you know, and, and it's not just office. I also look at industrial as well. And I don't think anything I'm about to say is really earth-shattering because I think a lot of those evolutions, I think we're all starting to get really exposed to it. One would be green and sustainability. So, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking about LEED. We weren't talking about green and sustainability. Even three years ago, it was questionable, is this a fad or is it fiction? And, and I think corporate America has made it very clear that a building, an office building in particular, that is green and sustainable is, is very important to their decision-making process. And I'm a suburban guy, so the answer can also be different whether we're talking about downtown office versus suburban office. Looking at the design of the building is reflective of the changes of how companies are operating. I mean, the flow, the people they hire, recruitment and retention. And if you looked at, uh, I'm not sure if it was on, in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, I just got the article, um, but it was talking about the fact that office parks are out. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not too surprised. Um, so they're, they're talking about the fact that there's going to be this issue of, of the fact that a lot of companies want to move back into an urban uh, environment and they don't want to be out in the suburbs. Well, the reason why we have office parks out in the suburbs is because, well, there's enough land to have office parks. It's tough to do in a very tight market. The problem now is that guys like me, the baby boomers, you know, we're in our 50s, and we kind of like that. We, we like the office parks. I mean, we were living out in the suburbs. 
We lived out there. It was close to home. Uh, the problem is today the new uh, person being employed who's coming out of college in their early 20s, they don't want to be out in the suburbs. There's no life out there. There's no energy. They want to be in an urban environment. They want to be near retail or near Starbucks or places they can collaborate. So it's changing with recruitment and retention. It's changing the whole way the companies are making site selection decisions. And certainly the fact that, you know, when I was growing up, you know, as I say in class, you know, I grew up with the notion that I went to college and, and you get a job at a big company. Uh, and if you got a job at a big company and stuck around for 30 years, you'd probably work your way up the ladder if you were, if you were any good in sales. Uh, it doesn't have to be real estate. It could be any type of industry. But eventually, the prize was you got the corner office or you got your own office. Well, that model's now out the door. Uh, pr private offices is too expensive. In the last few years, we've gotten rid of uh, private offices and put everybody, you know, we were doing bullpens. Now nobody wants to be in, in a modular unit or a bullpen, so they just give you collaborative space, meaning just a wide open floor plate. You have a desk. You plug in your laptop. There's no desktop. And, and for some generations, they can't deal with that model. It's very, very different. For the younger generation, that's all they know. They, they've just been living in that environment. So what it does, it, it changes the density factors. Um, and this is going to be a problem for a lot of developers you know, that have older, that have held buildings for, for many, many years because it's not new development. and It's harder to change the model. Uh, but the fact is a lot of companies are, are hiring more people and being able to do that with less space. And that's what we talk about on that evolution of the office product. Rob, we've been in a very difficult market for the past couple of years, and one of the programs in your signature series presentations is about liquidity in commercial real estate and trying to get people to understand why investments and cash are important concepts for brokers to learn about. Talk a little bit about that program. That is a very popular uh, program. Over the last five years, you know, it's evolved, but it basically falls into a five-segment uh, presentation. It is about liquidity, and it's about commercial real estate as, as an investment alternative to other places that people could put their money. And in order to look at, and, and actually the full title of the program is Liquidity and Commercial Real Estate Connecting the Dots Back to the Future, where, where we've been, where we're at, where we're headed. So because of these programs that I had done for, you know, SIR, CCIM, other organizations, uh, it gave me a look back to the future in 2012. I could look back to 2006 because I had these presentations where I was making projections of where I thought the market was. And then I could today tell you I was wrong. In, in a couple of cases, I was, I was off on some of my thinking. And, and in some cases where perhaps I thought I wasn't off. But the five segments really fall into this. How is the federal government and the economy, the federal economy, affected um, real estate and money, the cost of money, inflation? And what I'm primarily looking at is are we in a deflationary market or an inflationary market? And, and we tend to have this pretty healthy argument. Um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Gary Schilling, Harry Dent, Jr., and, 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 in fact, you know, both of them, at least uh, Gary, has been a huge um, proponent of deflation. And the reason that's relevant is because if we 
if we um, believe that real estate is inflation hedge, which is what I've heard my whole life, then if there isn't any inflation, what are you hedging against? So certainly there are other arguments about, well, it doesn't have to be a hedge, but so I guess the second question is if you believe we're in a deflationary economy, then you pull a variable mortgage or a fixed mortgage, and in deflation, if you're on a high interest rate, you would actually wait and buy time to get the lower rates, and that's another way of uh, accumulating wealth because you make it through um, income on the building and you make it through the sale of the property, but you also can make your returns by low cost of money. So I go through the unemployment rate, the GDP, inflation, um, core inflation, uh, consumer confidence, um, discretionary savings, how much money people make saving. We talk about the velocity rate. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool stuff. And we do some role-playing in class and actually use money and show them, okay, this is what some of these terms mean. So we kind of set, and, and, then, and then I end up polling people. So they're in groups, and they come back and give me their thoughts of where they think we're headed with the economy. Then we roll into commercial real estate, and basically with financing, my question is, where's the health of financing? So I look at the, the late payments, the delinquency rate, the default rate, and the foreclosure rate. And the point of that is to look at what's the health. It, 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 are things, where's the pipeline? Are we headed for worse times, or are we headed for a stronger time? And worse doesn't always mean bad. I mean, if more properties were potentially going under, that's a, that's a potential buy opportunity. As I say in class, you make your money on the buy side, and if you really want to make your money, you make it when things are tough or when, when things are not very good. But emotionally, people don't like to do that because they don't feel good about the market. Then we roll into real estate versus other places you can put your money. So I look at, uh, I believe, the last five years for um, different alternative investments besides real estate, and then I look at how does real estate compare to itself. So we look at industrial office, um, retail, and where would you go, um, where are the cap rates going, and then I wrap it up with international and uh, look at how does the international real estate investor play a part in, the, in, in, in this whole role of liquidity. And then I make my projections of where I things are going. In the description for this course, uh, Rob, it indicates that you talk about the dirty secrets of the last four down cycles that uh, could be used to help uh, brokers prosper. Can you talk about some of those secrets? Well, if I did, then they wouldn't be secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be wise. However, uh, I would say come to the class and you'll find out what they are. Okay, fair um, enough. There were, um, uh, you know, sometimes I put those four secrets in, sometimes we, depending on the format of the chapter, sometimes when we want to go into a chapter event, they say, hey, look, you know, this is a four-hour program. Can you make it free? So sometimes I have to take some things out of it um, because there'll be people who say, hey, I don't remember him talking about those four dirty secrets. Well, that's because, that's because the person that brought me in, the entity brought me in, said you got to reduce down your time. So sometimes I have to take out some long discussion matters. But um, what I did find, which I thought was interesting, to be a little more serious, was that, um, just as a for instance, it, if you wanted to see what was going to happen with the, the health of, of, of commercial real estate financing, what I found and was reading from other people was don't look at real estate, look at car loans. So I was kind of amused by that. I'm like, what? 
and and basically one argument was that uh, there was another uh, section that I had in here about the housing market, and and I said the housing market was sort of a preempt to what was going to go on in commercial, um, and, and that what was going on the mortgages with the bank, you know, if they had a lot of bad residential mortgages, it, it, it tended to hurt us on the commercial side because the liquidity wasn't there with banks. They just didn't want to give out more mortgages. So I said, well, then how do you know what the health of um, residential is? Oh, yeah, there's statistics out there, but if you want to get like that unknown, one of those secrets is look at the defaults on car loans. And I think the second one was actually credit cards was another one. And what I basically said is the last thing somebody stops paying, if they have limited money, that your house mortgage is going to be the last um, bill that you're going to stop paying. You'll stop paying your car loan. You'll, you might not pay. You'll, you'll stop paying your credit card payment, but the house mortgage, that'll be, that'll be the last thing. So I, I, when I was studying this and reading, I found that kind of interesting. What they basically, you know, I was reading was look at the defaults on car loans and you'll start to get a picture of what potentially is coming down the, down the pipe. Well, it sounds like a great series of courses, Rob, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about them on the NAR Commercial Intelligence Briefing Podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate having the opportunity to, to at least um, speak about some of these courses. I, I really love them. I know that people that have taken them have uh, enjoyed it, and, um, and people have given me some suggestions to make them better, and you know, we work as hard as we can. Rob Nahigian is a principal with Auburndale Realty Company, and he's one of the NAR Commercial Signature Series speakers. And for more information about NAR Commercial, visit the website realtor.org forward slash commercial. If you have comments or suggestions about these programs, please write to us. My email address is steve at lubetkincommunications.com. We produce these programs in the studios of Lubetkin Global Communications in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. For everyone at NAR Commercial and the National Association of Realtors, this is Steve Lubetkin. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.